Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. The message you're about to watch is week four. Today we're tackling the topic of the promise God gave and asking the question, what was God's plan to make it right? If you've missed any messages this series, we encourage you go back and listen to the messages you've missed. Once again, thank you for checking out this message here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there are any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. So we are currently studying through a series called Pages, the story of God's love through the Bible. And our aim, as Pastor Vance has talked about the last few weeks, is that we want you to see the Bible is one story from beginning to end. Last week, I'm going to jump in really quick, and that's really not like me because I love to tell stories and I like to be a little animated, but I got a lot to say, so I'm going to get to it. Last week, Pastor Vance taught us uh, the account of the fall of humanity. What God made perfect for us, we perverted. But, but today we're going to move on and in lieu of last week's sermon, we want to seek to answer this question, how did God make it right? I want to give you the answer to this question at the very beginning, which is really not a good way to preach or teach, but I'm going to give you the answer so that we can think about it this whole way through. The truth is, is God gave us a promise. Now, it's been said that a promise is only as good as the person making it. I don't mean to bring this subject up, but politicians. That's all I'll say. Sports stars, people in general, including pastors and preachers, make promises. Some of the most famous promises, or one of the most famous promises in history was made concerning the ship, the Titanic. They made comments about the ships such as these. Captain Edward Smith said, I cannot conceive of any vital disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone, has gone beyond that. Famous last words, I guess. An unknown Titanic crew member uh, to an embarking passenger, Miss Sylvia Caldwell, said this, God himself could not sink this ship. Ye. And wow, were these statements surely wrong, right? In watching the movie only two decades ago, a moviegoer is left with the impression that there was a promise the ship could not sink. But now we know, in fact, not only could it, but it, it did. So today as we talk about a promise, we're going to have to say what, we're going to have to ask the question, what is a promise? Well, Webster says that a promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something that, what, that they have specified. So in the teaching today, we're going to look at a promise given by God initially to one man in Genesis chapter 12. 
But ultimately, this promise would result in, being, in many being blessed by the promise made to this one man. We will also find out that this promise given to Abraham in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis was ultimately a promise to all of God's children. Up to this point in our series, we've talked about two of the three sections in Genesis. You may not even have known that. The, the uh, Genesis call, is called the book of beginnings. Section one in, the, in Genesis covers creation and the perfection that God made as well as the fall. Section two covers Noah and his sons, which we won't talk about in the time immediately after the flood. Here, though, today in chapter 12, we have what most theologians tout as the third section of Genesis with the family of Abraham. From here, from this point in the Bible, at the very beginning, basically, seemingly the rest of Genesis, and not only Genesis, but the Old Testament, and to be honest with you, the rest of the Bible through the New Testament has its roots. In fact, from here on, we're going to talk about the family of Abraham, the nation of Israel, but the seed that would come through this family. In the two previous sections, what we saw was that sin had invaded humanity. In this section, we're going to begin to see how God's plan to make, what God's plan was to make everything right again. Now, if you've been reading, and I won't ask you to raise your hand through the reading plan that we gave you. I hope you have. If you have been, then you know that the world up to this point is spinning out of control. In the first section of Genesis, sin entered and Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And then God expels them from the garden. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve's son kills, Cain kills his brother Abel. In Genesis 6 and 7, there's a flood. And one of the quotes from the flood from God was, is that every intent of man's heart was evil only continually, which was the reason for the flood. In the second section, after God flooded the earth because sin was great, sin again expands in the story of the building of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, there's another statement made by the people, and here's what they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Thought I was reading something from now. In light of knowing this, Pastor Vance answered the question for us last week, where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong after the perfection of the creation that God had made? He answered this question by teaching how sin entered the world, the result of sin entering the world, and the reason God allowed sin to enter the world, and then finally God's response to this. And if you haven't seen or, or, or heard the sermon from last week, let me uh, encourage you to go do so online this week. It'll go great with what I'm going to say today to give you kind of a, 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 a beginning place to understand what we say. I will say this about sin. Sin has destroyed, it is destroying, and it will destroy all of us. Sin isn't one of the problems we have. Sin is the problem we have. Unless... God has a plan to make it right. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. And that leads us to the next question in this series. If sin is where, it is where it all went wrong, then what was God's plan to make it right? We find the answer in Genesis chapter 12. So turn with me if you would, and let's read the first four verses of Genesis chapter 12. It'll also be up here on the screens for you if you don't have your Bible today or if your iPhone died. Chapter 12, verse 1 in the book of Genesis. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth will, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot with him, went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now before I begin, I want to address something that many have commented on before at this point, and may even still today. God did send Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin. Amen? He did come to die so that we might live. But God did not plan to save us when Jesus entered earth by becoming a man. God had that plan to save humanity from sin long before this point in history. In fact, the plan was set in motion in eternity past in the sovereignty of God. We talked about it last week. God states in Genesis chapter 3, you, Satan, will bruise his, Jesus' heel. He will hurt you, in other words. He, he, he'll hurt your earthly life. He'll make things hard on you. He'll frustrate you. He'll try his best to defeat what God has planned. But her seed, Jesus will crush your, Satan's head. Jesus would defeat Satan at just the right time in history. So today's big idea is this. This is what we're going to jump off of today. In his sovereignty, God promised to send a Savior to the world through the family of Abraham. Simple, Joel, but true. And so let's look today. What I believe this sentence is, is this one sentence on the screen is teaching us is this. God promised to send the Savior to defeat sin. His promise would extend to all people from these verses. And last, his promise would demand a response. So let's look briefly at these three points today. First of all, God's promise deals with our sin. God's promise deals with our sin. God's promise restores us to a relationship with him. Now as I go on through here, you're going to say, Tom, I don't really see that in these verses. And to be honest with you, these sermons are some of the most difficult to write for us because while we do preach expositorily, we don't want to get too deep into the weeds today. I want to hold it true to the Bible from the beginning to the end. And I actually got this whole point off of one word in classic fashion. It's the very first word, now. Look at verse 1. The writer, Moses, begins by using this word, now. Now denotes that something different is about to occur than what has already occurred. What a great word. Sin has come. It continues to affect man. Man continues to die physically, emotionally, relationally, intellectually. But now, now, in the opening statement, is not just the opening statement of chapter 12, but also of chapter 3. Don't turn back there, but you got to trust me in chapter 3. Now is a reference to the difference in the peace of creation and then to the carnage that would, cause, that, that would be caused in the world. But here in chapter 12, now begins to note the difference between the covenant God would make compared to the damage sin had caused to make a relationship between God and humans right again. Now would, be, would begin to deal with sin that had entered the world. This word now is a very important word. God promises to deal with our sin when he begins with the word 
Now, after the fall of man, the world became broken and fallen. Again, in chapter 3, the fall. Chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. Chapter 6, the flood. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Man becomes jealous and selfish and self-absorbed. And you'd think I was talking about 2018. These are all signs of sin. Flesh always leans towards sin. You see, man's sin needed to be dealt with. Otherwise, man would die and forever be separated from God. Those words can fall deaf on ears sometimes. But separation from God is real. If sin isn't dealt with, if God doesn't do something, we will all perish in our sin and be separated from God in a place called hell. You say, Tom, I don't believe in hell. Jesus did. I just don't believe God would do that. We did it. You see, the problem is sin. Sin is the problem of every human being. Listen, I've been around the world. I've been in all kinds of countries. And every time I've asked this question, the same answer has always come back. And here's the question. Have you ever sinned? Now, I have asked this question a couple of times, and people said no, but they were always two or three years old. <laughs> but for anybody, especially adults, young people, when you ask this question, the answer is always the same. The answer is always yes as they hang their heads in shame. Every person knows that they've sinned. Every human does sin. The Bible teaches that. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our problem is sin, but I got good news. There's a solution. God had the solution to deal with sin. In verse 3, here's what he says. He says, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The word blessed here, by the word blessed, we mean that God would deal with the problem of sin by ultimately and finally sending to earth the Son of God who was the only sacrifice worthy to defeat sin and come back to life. That Savior was and is Jesus. And here's what the Bible says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 said, When the fullness of the time came, Paul wrote, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And then he goes on in 2 Corinthians to say, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness in God, of God in him. I know I'm speaking to the early service today. Sometimes we get over these facts. This is the best thing we can know. I'm the small groups pastor here at Hope. Small groups, man, we want to go deep and dig out the nuggets of God. You won't get deeper than this. For 80 years, Billy Graham preached this message every week. I'm sure he was smarter than that and went way deep into the Greek and the Hebrew. But this is the best thing we got. 
You see, from the seed of Eve in Genesis 3 and the family of Abraham in chapter 12, which we're reading now, would come the Savior of the world so the world could be saved. It was all messed up, but God put it back together in this one promise. God's promise to Abraham would first deal with the problem of sin through the seed of Eve and Adam in the person of Jesus. And Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds. As referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And that's what Pastor Vance preached us last week. Jesus accomplished what we never could. First, he dealt with our problem of sin. Secondly, God's promise didn't just include dealing with our sin. It also included the whole world. You see, God's promise has got to be proclaimed in the world. God's promise is for all the world to hear. The whole world will be blessed. In verse, in verse 3, we see all families of the earth will be blessed. Listen, not a family, not a people, but for all families, all people. You see, we at Hope believe this so much that we've put into practice making sure the peoples of the whole earth know that there is salvation and none other. This morning, we commissioned, we commissioned uh, South Asia. I almost told you where, and I said, I can't. <laughs> and the Wadi group. Listen, we believe this so much. Hearing these words, the people of God, when we hear the words people of God, when we hear the words God's people, and we talk about spread throughout the earth, to whom do you think? Well, most people think Israel. We love Israel. We love Israel because Jesus was an Israelite. I love Israelis, but I also love Tanzanians. I love Tanzanians and Chinese people. We're supposed to love the peoples of the earth. When we think of the people of God, sometimes the only thing we think of are the people of, of Israel. God's plan was never to only save Israel. The plan was to save Israel, but it was bigger than that. It was a plan capable of saving all the people of the earth, no matter the nation, the race, the culture, the language. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says so much. He says in, in verses 3 and 4, this is good and acceptable. Listen to this. In the sight of God our Savior who desires, I love this, I love this, all men to be saved. Every person. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness. Praise God. But is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Then both in Joel 2.32 and Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13 is actually a quote from Joel 2.32. Here's what it says. It says, that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love this word to whoever. All, anybody. But how would they be blessed? He tells us. The whole world will be blessed through Abraham's obedience. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to a land which I'll show you, and I'll make your name great. And you know what he did? Abraham did. In 12.4, the Bible tells us that Abraham did as the Lord had spoken to him. And by the way, <clears throat> he was 75. Now, for those of you who are near that age or reaching that age, you know, sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, well, 75. But, you know, in, in Bible times, that's like 30. 
Now, listen, people began to die. In fact, after the flood, God said people won't live more than 120 years. Abraham was an old man. Well, not too old, sorry. He's a mature fella. Listen, this is not what the sermon's about, but listen, you never can quit. Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. That's what the Bible tells us. In Galatians chapter 3, it goes even farther. Paul tells us it concurs that Abraham did just that. Even so, verse 6 of chapter 3 in Galatians, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, listen to this, all the nations will be blessed in you. Obey me, God says, and I'll bless the whole world through your lineage. Obey me. And that's what he asked of us too. We've been asked to obey as well. The whole earth is our responsibility. God will save. He only asks that we go and tell them. Matthew 28, 18, uh, excuse me, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the good news is, is that Revelation tells us the end of the story. In chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says this, shows what the outcome at the end of the age that God did indeed accomplish salvation of people of every race, nation, and culture. Here's what, here's what John writes. He said, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation." You see, the promise dealt with the sin of the whole, it dealt with sin, but it dealt with the sin of the whole world. It was for the whole world. The promise of blessing and salvation wasn't given to a certain people or a certain nation. It was given to all the families of the earth. You and me and every person should have access to that salvation. And so God, his promise does a third thing. It demands a response. I know what some of you are thinking today who've been in the faith for a while. This is the sermon you put together? I actually had to repent this morning to the Lord and ask forgiveness for thinking I needed to go deeper for some of you. It doesn't get deeper than this. We should be overwhelmed by the gospel. But whether you know it or not, there are people in this room who need Jesus. There are people you're going to see this week in your home and, or at your place of business or where you work. There are people that you're going to come in contact with all week and we've gotten over the gospel, but they need it desperately. That's right. You see, the gospel wasn't just given to deal with our sin. and It was, but it was given to all the peoples of the earth. And what this gospel demands is a response. God's promise demands a response. It must be believed in the heart. God's promise is to, is to be 
believed. I want to read you something. I actually had it at the end, but I need, to, uh, I need to go. I need to say it first. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, just three chapters over. We see that Abraham himself believed in God. This promise must not only be believed by Abraham, but it must be believed by us too. By every person. Not believe as I believe that something exists. But as in I trust that Jesus' payment for my sin was sufficient to pay my debt and give me eternal life. Listen, lots of people say they believe in him. They believe that he exists. But believe it. Listen, the devil believes he exists. He don't just believe it. He knows it. <laughs> he doesn't see it not by sight. He saw it by sight. Even he believes that God exists and that Jesus exists and that Jesus is the payment for our penalty. So I'm not talking about just believing something exists. The Bible says that Abraham had never seen, but he believed. He trusted. He placed his faith. You see, the blessing was the provision of sin. That provision was Jesus. And what did he provide? He provided what we say in theological terms is substitutionary atonement. In other words, God sent Jesus to take our punishment for the sin that we had, that we have, and that we will commit. The word atonement means a reparation for some for a wrong or an injury. The word reparation, because most of us don't even know what that means, means the making of amends for a wrong that one has done. You see, we needed to be fixed. And our relationship with God could not be right until we had been dealt with. But Jesus took that on himself. He provided what was needed to attain our relationship with God. And he didn't just repair the relationship, he made it brand new. You see, those who have sinned need an atonement for the sins they've committed. And there's not a person in this room that that does not apply to. So who are these unfortunate people? Us. All of us, not merely some of us, not just those who are weak mentally or physically and need a crutch, not a certain race or culture or a certain language group, not a certain socioeconomic group. All of us are lost and dying in our sins unless Jesus' blood is applied to us. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Some of y'all just gave money. Why did you do that? Because you believe the gospel's real and it's got to go. We all need him. And the gospel is this. First of all, we've all sinned. I've already said, Romans 3.10, 3.23. There is no one righteous, not even one. Just look in the mirror. You'll believe that. I mean, we love ourselves more than we love anybody else. If we believe that about us, surely it's not hard to believe it about everybody. You, some of you made a list. Of people you for sure are not righteous. <laughs> Romans 3.23 says, And if it wasn't plain enough, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's a penalty for that sin as well. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And people say, well, that's death when I get there. But the truth is, is John 3.17 tells us that people won't be condemned. They're condemned already. Well, when I die, then that No, no. Salvation starts when you give your life to him. But trust me, your death and your condemnation won't start when you die. It's already started. And the only thing that can stop it or thwart it is the love of God through Jesus Christ and our acceptance of him. 
But God made a provision for us. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And again, John 3, 16, he gave his one and only son. Romans 10, Paul says, this is how you give your life to the Lord. This is how you have salvation. He said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. People say, I'm a private person. Me too. <laughs> that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that, that I'm, I almost said it the King James way. You, your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You only need to submit to him and accept his offer of salvation. The Bible tells us the gift of God is eternal life. I want to be honest with you. Well, not that I'm not. I'm going to be transparent with you. I've been praying all week that God would send lost people to our services. I was lost. And God found me. August 17th, 1980. In a little church none of you could find today, probably. I could tell you where it is, but you'd have no idea. God was there too. And he showed me my sin, and it changed my life forever. I just believed him. I believed him about who I said I was. And so this week I prayed all week, Lord, would you send lost people just to hear the gospel? And God, would you help our people who have heard it so many times be overwhelmed by it and not be bored by it? I wonder why this is, because the truth is, I already had a sermon ready that wasn't this one. It's really good. I'm, I can't wait to preach it someday. <laughs> But I've been praying that people would be saved today. Some people would say, but Tom, I've got to clean myself up. And then he'll be ready to receive me. My grandfather's number one remark to me was, I've done too much. But that's not true. Major Ian Thomas has a quote. He said, victory over sin is not to be attained, it's to be received. And that's for us who are in the faith. Listen, victory over it. But it's also for those who don't have salvation to begin with. You're not going to attain it. Salvation is to be received. Some people would say, I can't forgive myself even if I clean myself up, Tom. I'll never be able to forgive me. But Major Ian Thomas again says, God says that you do not have the right to remember what he forgets. Why would we do for ourselves what we have no power to do and that he has already done? Why would we try to pick that up and do it ourselves? So what did God do to make it right? He made the promise of Jesus and then fulfilled that promise in him. He would come and he would die so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty of your own sin. If you would only believe in him and repent of your sins 
all the ones that you've committed and even the ones that you haven't, then you would give, he would give you eternal life. And it's just really so easy. As I finish today, I'm aware of how simple this message is. I mean, today I, I shared the simple story of the gospel. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection with the meaning of each. That's the gospel and that's where salvation lies. Belief and repentance. Belief in Jesus. Repenting to God. With that, I'm not sorry for the elementary nature of this message today. This week, the world lost a great man to death. But only from this earth. Billy Graham was not God. But he sure showed us the impressions of it like many men before him. Very few people disliked Dr. Graham. He was well-liked, not because he was a great man in his flesh, but he truly was well-liked and admired because the great God lived in him. When people saw Billy Graham, they saw God. God lived his life through Dr. Graham. And Dr. Graham's messages were always very, very simple. He would say things like this. He would say, Jesus loves you. I mean, how many times have you heard, looked into the screen and watched Billy Graham say that? Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants you to believe in him and accept the salvation that he's already paid for. And to be honest, that's pretty much all he said for 80 years. At the end of his messages, the invitations usually ended with a great hymn. And it was the hymn, Just As I Am. I actually thought about singing it for you. Got to find the right key. Hang on. <laughs> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And for some reason, by the Spirit of God, for some reason, by the Spirit of God, hundreds of people would always give their lives to Jesus. It was a simple message. So today I don't apologize, and honestly, I never will. It's the gospel. It does its own talking. I know we're talking about, the, to be honest with you, the passage is called the Abrahamic Covenant. But the covenant was simple. It was the proclamation of the coming gospel. The gospel does its own talking. It does its own convincing. And many who sat under Dr. Graham and many men like him walked away born again. Many simply walked away, ironically, not from a passionate man with an emotional stirring story, but they walked away from God himself. Many people heard the gospel and still didn't give their lives to Christ in Billy Graham's messages. Today, some of you in this room are going to walk away in the same way. Some of you will walk away giving your life to Christ like I did that night, August 17, 1980. But some of you are going to get up and you're going to walk out and still not know Jesus. Some of you have been here week after week and you've been here enough to accept the free gift that God is offering through the promise that he made. But you haven't.
It is so true. And this week I was reminded of this, that people can be geographically and relationally close to God, but yet still so far away. Remember that a promise is only as good as the one who makes that promise. If God said it, he'll do it. And if you do not know him today, you can. I know we do this at Hope a lot, but it's really easy. Confess your sin and believe on him. Tell God you're a sinner. In fact, just agree with God. You're not going to be telling him something he doesn't know. Secondly, surrender your life to Jesus. Tell God you want him and not your own life. Thirdly, accept the free gift of salvation. Accept what he's already accomplished. No need to do anything else. And then four, accept him as Lord. Allow him to be the boss of your life. Here's what I know. If you ask him to save you, he will. Not only can he, he will. And he will because he can never go against his word. He surely loves you. Why would you try to pick up and take what he's already accomplished for you? You say, Tom, I got so many problems. There are so many things in my life that are messed up. I'm not promising that all those will be fixed tomorrow. But I tell you this, salvation will give you a better outlook on why things happen. Your trust in him is not just something. People say, I'm a, at the very end of my life, I'm just going to pray to receive Christ. You have no hope in that. The devil hopes that you can walk out of this building and he wants to strip you of the seed that God has planted. Have you ever? I, listen, I don't want you to get saved again. There's no such thing. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever given your life to Christ? You say, Tom, how can I know? Look at your life right now. Just look at it right now. Listen, if you had it, you didn't lose it. But if you've never had it, religion won't do it. Showing up in this service every week and giving an offering or telling people about Jesus, even when you don't know him, won't do it. You need Jesus. Believers, you pray as I pray right now. And then when we finish, I'm going to stand here and there are going to be other pastors here we got lots of people who can't wait to share the gospel with you. But if you are lost today and you're without God, listen, don't leave. Don't leave. Jesus, please. And God, we don't have to beg you. God, I want to beg these people who don't know you. The Abrahamic covenant's a big word. These are big words. This is a, this is a huge theological thing, but it's really simple. It's just the gospel. You had a way to deal with sin, and it was Jesus. You opened it up to the whole world, Lord, not just a a group. But God, our part is that we have to respond to it. Lord Abraham responded. He obeyed, and he believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Lord, today we must believe too. Lord, we trust you, Holy Spirit, just to do what only you can do, Move up and down these aisles, convict of sin, convince of righteousness, and have your way as you save many today. We pray this in Jesus' name.